Pfizer's stock has slumped 15% this month, a $43 billion drop in market value, according to Bloomberg News. On Tuesday, the company shared its annual earnings in 2023 Outlook. Catherine Ellen Foley will be on later to tell us more about it. This is Pulse Check. I'm Ruth Reader. FDA Commissioner Robert Califf announced Tuesday that he plans to restructure the division within the agency responsible for food safety. The decision comes in the wake of a national baby formula crisis and years of internal dysfunction. Califf said his new transformative vision for the foods division will include streamlining reporting structures, creating a center for excellence in nutrition, and clarifying the relationship between the Office of Regulatory Affairs, which is the lead office for field food safety inspections and the Food Oversight Division. The World Health Organization says the COVID-19 pandemic is still a global health emergency, even if it might not be for much longer. Countries are in the midst of deciding how to move forward from policies enacted during the acute phase of the pandemic. The WHO says increasing vaccination rates should remain a priority. And President Biden announced Monday that May 11th will mark the end of the public health emergency declaration in the U.S. Daniel Payne is here to break down what will change and what won't. Hey, Ruth. Glad to be here. The White House has set a date for the end of the public health emergency. What is that going to mean for most people? Most people are going to notice a change in how much they have to pay to deal with COVID. What used to be free under the emergency, like vaccines, tests, and treatments, is likely going to cost a little bit more. Particularly if you're uninsured, all of those things are going to likely cost more. Even folks who do have insurance or are covered under Medicare or Medicaid could see more out-of-pocket costs as well for treatments and tests. So that's going to be the immediate impact for most Americans. Have we heard or seen anything from insurers that sort of suggests what, might, what direction they might go, whether they plan on covering some of these things, whether it's tests or, you know, some of the drugs related to COVID or even just like COVID care? I know another concern that's sort of come up is around inpatient stays and things like that. Sure. So I think some of it is still up in the air, but we do know that insurers typically do cover preventative care. So vaccines are likely going to be covered for people with insurance. But some of the other costs at the end of the day and what particular plans are going to pay and particular negotiation rates, it's kind of hard to say at this point. So costs might go up. That's one thing we can expect. I'm also curious, it seems like there might be particular impacts for people with Medicare or Medicaid. What's going on there? That's right. So because these are government programs, the government during the pandemic offered some new flexibilities that weren't there before. And a lot of those flexibilities are going to come to an end. Waivers about who could get care, when they could get it, how they could get it, how much was covered, who was covered. They vary state to state for Medicaid in particular, and a lot of them were individual waivers for certain providers. But the big story here is things that were made flexible, regulations that were eased because of the pandemic are going to go back to normal. That's going to be a big impact across the health system. Yeah, I think I read that there's an estimated 14 or 15 million people who may lose their Medicaid coverage when the public health emergency ends. I believe that there's some work being done in order to help people sort of make it to a new insurance provider after that. But that does seem a little scary when you when you hear the numbers, right? Certainly. That number for Medicaid enrollment is actually decoupled from the public health emergency now. Originally, it was tied to it. But at this point, it was determined that that would end 
on a separate date, regardless of public health emergency status. But that's sort of the thing that you're seeing where the government, because it knew that healthcare was going to be such an important issue over these last few years, allowed exceptions that wouldn't otherwise be allowed. Well, and also it sounds like this end date is not the only end date. So it seems like there have also been some extensions put into place for some of these rules, like what you're talking about with Medicaid. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And some of these waivers that I was talking about, uh, some of the exceptions that were made through Medicaid programs or through Medicare have been extended in certain areas. But it's sort of tenuous which extensions were allowed in which states and, and who will be affected. And still the overall story, I think, is that the number of exceptions allowed is about to go way down, particularly because a lot of them are tied to this public health emergency end date. You know, during the pandemic, there were a lot of waivers put in place, like there were for many other things. But particularly in regards to telehealth, you know, where doctors can practice from, when they're treating someone. And so I'm curious, what is going on there? Sure. So several exceptions that were around because of the pandemic were continued separate from the public health emergency. So Congress on its own decided that a lot of these exceptions should continue until 2024, seeing some benefit from them. But there are some flexibilities that are going to end with the public health emergency or, or close to it. There are rules about how controlled substances can be prescribed over telehealth. And there are rules about what kind of services that employers can offer, uh, whether they could offer a telehealth service as a standalone service, almost like dental or vision. And those things will end come the end of the public health emergencies. We know that President Biden has been telegraphing for a while that we are heading in the direction of ending the public health emergency. But I'm curious, you know, what kind of pressure is he under to do this? And how exactly did we get here? Sure. So if you were on Capitol Hill asking Republicans about this, they would say that they're the reason that we're here right now, that they've been pushing for the end of the public health emergency for a while, saying that a lot of government spending and flexibilities in policy needs to end, that we've got COVID under control to some extent, and it's time to move on from this emergency phase. I don't know that the White House would exactly agree with that, but it certainly is clear that the administration has been looking for a while now to figure out how to pivot out of the original response to the pandemic that we've been on you know, for years now and how we're going to live with COVID in the long term. And I should mention, too, that the WHO just recommitted to its announcement that COVID is a public health emergency of international concern. So governments and government organizations are really grappling with this question right now. What stage of the pandemic are we in? Is it still an emergency? And how should we be using sort of these policy exceptions that we have at our disposal? And when should we stop using those exceptions to start to move on? And so it sounds like where the U.S. has landed to a certain extent is that we are ending the public health emergency that will have repercussions for certain waivers and flexibilities that have been put in place on the one hand. On the other hand, there are certain flexibilities and waivers that are we're sort of like kicking the can down the road with a little bit in terms of like extensions and sort of figuring out whether to keep those in place long term or not, or whether they just need a little bit more time to phase out. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that it would be very fair to say that we have some lessons learned from the pandemic, and you see that in changes to the law. At the same time, 
we're going to go back to normal to some extent. Things that used to be free in the healthcare system are no longer going to be free. And exceptions that were made for providers, for insurance companies, are no longer going to be there. So certainly, it's a bit of both. So interesting. It also seems like that may sort of tee us up for a very interesting health conversation uh, either later this year or in 2024 ahead of the election. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me. Of course, of course. Thank you. On Tuesday, Pfizer held its fourth quarter earnings call, covering the end of the 2022 fiscal year and a brief look ahead. FDA reporter Catherine Ellen Foley is here to bring us her four top takeaways. So number one, Pfizer made a ton of money off of its COVID products last year. In total, the company made $100.3 billion in revenue, and over half of that was related to sales of its COVID-19 vaccine, which it makes with BioNTech, and Paxlovid, which is its oral antiviral for COVID. That's the biggest takeaway. It was a huge year in part because of government contracts with the company. Number two... Pfizer doesn't expect to make nearly as much off of COVID products this year. And that's in part because it expects to move to a commercial market instead of relying on government contracts for its COVID-19 vaccine and Paxlovid. So in 2023, the company expects its vaccine to only bring in $13.5 billion and Paxlovid to bring in $8 billion. So that's a significant, significant decrease. And It laid out two reasons for this. Number one is because it expects that its government contracts will run out and it will shift to a commercial market. But it also expects that not as many people are going to be interested in taking the COVID shot this year. It's really predicting a lot of reduced vaccine compliance moving forward because it doesn't predict that there will be any variants that will cause people to change their behavior. And for the most part, the vaccines that we have are protecting against severe disease. Number three is really an interesting projection of how we're going to handle COVID in the long term. And it sort of melds with what we've been hearing from the U.S. government. So last week, the FDA's vaccine expert advisory panel convened and they talked a lot about how we might simplify COVID-19 vaccine schedules moving forward. And one of the things they floated was this idea of an annual COVID shot, really similar to the way that we do the flu. And what Pfizer executives talked about in their earnings on Tuesday was really also following this scheme. You know, the company is also developing a combination flu COVID shot. And they expect that in years moving forward in 2024 and 2025, pending no major, you know, unforeseen hurdles, their combination flu and COVID shot will make vaccine uptake be about 50 percent, kind of the way that it is for the flu now. So it's predicting that our immunity will continue to wane as the virus mutates. And the company is predicting that more people are just going to want to get an annual shot like they do now. And the fourth biggest takeaway I got from this earnings call was that Pfizer has a lot more products in the pipeline they're hoping to bring forward. Some of the biggest products that I'm paying attention to are it's biosimilar to Humira, which is a major anti-inflammatory drug that Pfizer is expecting to bring to market. It's also expecting to bring its RSV vaccine candidate for older adults over 60. And it's working on an mRNA-based shingles vaccine. So those are all just some of the products that Pfizer is hoping to roll out in the future. 
And that's our show. Afra, Abdullah, and Annie Reese are our producers. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Ruth Reader. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening. Listening.